Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome back to the EPR Roundtable. I am your host, Jake Jackman, today standing in for Kevin DeVries still. Um, you can get our Twitter at EPR Roundtable and you get my Twitter at Jake Jackman with two N's. My name is Thomas Nygren. I mostly write about Liverpool for lfcsv.se. But today I will, of course, talk about the Swedish national team who has reached the quarterfinal of the World Cup. Hi, I'm Jamie Smith. I'm a football journalist working for Omnisport News in the UK. I support Burnley, but today I'll be talking about England. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. We're all very happy after yesterday getting getting into the quarterfinals. I think maybe a little bit more expected for England, but still, it's it, the way it went about. It was just classic England, get, uh, the way it went uh, to penalties and, and the late goal. We got there in the end, and we've set up a quarterfinal against each other, so that will be interesting, which we'll get into later. But first, we'll start with the topics for today. Uh, and what I'd just like to touch on is um, just the quality of this World Cup. And uh, I've seen some people crit- say that it's, it's not going to be one of the best World Cups. It's not going to be remembered as that because a lot of the top teams have gone out early. Um, Argentina and Spain, of course, went out in the round of 16. Um, Argentina somewhat expectedly, but Spain was surprised by the hosts. And that's, um, you know, that's, that's left us with only Brazil and France, arguably Belgium, that you, you, you'd say were pre-tournament favourites so it'd be interesting to see what you guys uh sort of think about whether this is good or bad of for the competition is, is is the variation good um or do you think the world cup is going to be poorer because we don't have those bigger teams in in the latter stages uh first of all i want to say that i think that it's in uh, it's been a great world cup uh it's been been playing great football and Every game in this in uh, the second round was exciting. I think it was only the Brazil game who was uh, uh, they, they won with with two goals. Every other game was penalties or a one goal win. So I think it's been a good tournament, and I think that uh, a few surprises are good for the, these kind of tournaments, as long as some of the bigger teams are still in, uh, because of the interest around the games became becomes much uh, bigger when uh, there are a few surprises and when you're a supporter, you can think that everything can happen. And if I think back on the World Cups when I was younger, I remember the best teams and I also remember the teams who surprised. For example, Cameroon in uh, 90. Um, personally, I lost interest in uh, a competition, uh, competition like Champions League for a few years, mainly because it always were the same teams left in the end. You knew what would happen in the knockout, knockout stages, and that uh, takes away a lot of much of the fun of the competition. Uh, this World Cup is hard to predict, and I think that that makes it more interesting. But um, I have to say that I was happy to see Belgium turn things around against Japan because uh, I don't want too many of the big guns to go out before the quarterfinals. And uh, in the end, I want the two best teams to face each other in the final. But uh, if a few of them go out a bit early, I think that's only it's only good for the competition. And uh, if you look at Spain and Germany, I think that this is good for them both in the long run. Uh, they have been maybe the two best teams in the world for some time now, and uh, this forces them to develop and change things for the future. Germany believed too much on the players from the last World Cup, and now they will probably use more of the players who won Confederations Cup, so... Um, I think that this will be good for them in the future and uh, for the tournament as a whole now. Yeah, I, th- I think it could go either way at this point. I agree with Thomas. It's been an absolutely fantastic World Cup. There were some murmurs um, early in the group stage that it wasn't a good World Cup, and I think anyone who was saying that has just been made to look very, very silly in the last week, week and a half or so. It's been... A number of matches that are going to go down as all-time World Cup classics. Belgium, Japan with the the finale like that was absolutely superb. 
Korea dumping out Germany, one for the ages, and Portugal, Spain, right? One of the first few days of the tournament was absolutely brilliant as well. So I think it has been an outstanding World Cup. Um, I agree that you do want some of the big boys to stick around to the end. You want the heavyweight clashes. You want a Brazil v Germany, like we saw in the semi-finals of the last World Cup. You want games like France and Argentina that we've already had. Um, but I think it's good to see some new faces in there. Belgium have been talked about as being favourites, one of the favourites for this World Cup, and it looks like things are finally coming together for them. But they're still a new name. They've never won the World Cup before. Uruguay obviously haven't won the World Cup for a long, long time, but they look like they're going to be contenders this time. They've come through. And even England haven't won the World Cup for so long, but look like they've got a chance of going deep into the tournament. So I think it, it's it's good to get a good mixture, but yeah, we still want to see some of those big hitter clashes. I think semi-finals that could end up being, not that I'm counting any chickens, England v Russia, for example, I don't think that's a semi-final that many neutrals will be particularly excited to see. Um, but yeah, so far, I think it's been an excellent World Cup. It just needs the, the quality and the, the excitement to continue through the rest of the knockout range, which can be very cagey. We've seen that in some of the matches so far, especially when it goes to extra time. I think it's inevitable. Columbia England last night was very much like that. Um, but hopefully we'll see plenty of excitement to come. I'm really enjoying it so far. Yeah, I think I agree with uh both of you there um it's interesting the way the brackets have worked out you've sort of got that one side with all the sort of the bigger teams going up against each other so it so in the quarters you've got uruguay and france and then you've got uh brazil and belgium obviously that seems like quite a quite a good side of the bracket with with four good teams that you're not really surprised that they've got there uh maybe uruguay but you know they've they've looked quite well organized and and they've got two really good strikers so that you know that's it that's a really good side but it's, it's the other side of the bracket that's interesting because you've got Four teams now that Spain have gone out that would probably have taken a quarter final beforehand, but now one of them is going to be a finalist. Uh, you'd probably say Croatia are the, the the best of the lot, although I wasn't that impressed with them against um, Denmark and the way that went. Uh, they could have easily have gone out, um, so that that was interesting. Um, and then you've got England and Sweden, who I think England beforehand I would have I would have been happy with a quarter final. I'm sure Thomas is, is over the moon with a quarter final, although <laughs> I, I think they're being somewhat underestimated in the British press, or maybe not the press, but a lot of the supporters thinking that if we'd got through Colombia, you know, we've got an easier game. But Sweden, you know, knocked out Italy in the in the qualifiers. They've got got through to uh, knock, uh, knocked out Germany, or at least play, had a hand in that. And now have have gone and beaten Switzerland, so it's they're not a bad team, and, and in any team when you get to the quarterfinals, it can't be a bad team. So it's, it's interesting. I agree, it's been a really exciting tournament. I think the late goals have helped. I think VAR has, has been well implemented compared to what it was in England uh, this season. So that's been good to see. There's still a little bit of confusion, but you're going to get that. But I think that's been a really good addition to the World Cup. And, it's definitely in terms of drama that South Korea goal uh, is going to be remembered for a long time as a a great World Cup moment. So. I agree. I think it's been a really good World Cup so far, but I think it's it it's got a little bit to go to be a great World Cup, and I think it all depends on, you know, who wins it, what what the semi-finals are like, um, and things like that, and if any players step up because we've not only lost, you know, some big nations this this past week, we've also lost Lionel Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, big players are going out, and it's it'll be interesting to see if anybody can sort of step up and make an impression as sort of the next, the, the third one. And I guess the, the, the person most likely to do that we're going to come on to next, and that's Neymar, who's been a headline story uh, in the last two World Cups. He was supposed to boy at the Brazil World Cup, uh, did very well until he got injured. And then this, this year again, he's Brazil's big hope, and it seems like a lot goes through him. And he's been making a lot of headlines for the wrong reasons, his sort of diving, his, his play antics, the way he sort of just rolls around for ages, it seems. And it's interesting the way Neymar's career has gone. I think it was expected he'd gone to be the best player in the world. I'm not sure if he's quite reached that yet. And his move to PSG is, is questionable as well because I think I've sort of limited his ceiling. But I just want to know what you guys think of Neymar, whether he will go down as sort of one of the greatest, in, in, at least in modern football, and, and do his dramatic streak away from him as a player. Because I know he's he's making a lot of headlines, you know, in England, he's making a lot of headlines on social media. It's, it's interesting to see how people are reacting to him. So I'd like to see you guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's a tough question because um, here in Sweden, we only see him when he plays in the national team because not many people here watch PSG nowadays that uh, that Zlatan isn't there. So 
the games that we play now is the games that we're going to see here. And uh, the, the biggest talk about him here now is the, the way he acts on the field. Uh, partly I can understand him because uh, the way he's treated sometimes uh, is maybe a bigger problem than, than him uh, rolling around on the grass. But uh, if, in Sweden, if you ask someone to describe Neymar, most of them will uh, mention the dramatics before they talk about the way he plays. And that is not a good sign if you want to go down as one of the greatest. Uh, I think that he has acted uh, worse in this World Cup than he did in Brazil four years ago. And maybe it is because of how it ended for him that time, because uh, the injury in the quarterfinal kept him out of the semifinals. And maybe this is his way to to protect himself, some kind of a self-defense from the, from the way he's treated by the defenders. Uh, but, but I, too... He's uh, is annoyed by the way he acts sometimes. And uh, for example, in the game against Mexico, when uh, they stomped on him, the way he rolled on the grass was uh, it was embarrassing to see. And uh, of course, the defenders are hard on him, and I can understand if he wants to go down easy sometimes. But uh, I think he hurts himself with his acting the way with acting the way he does now. It will be more difficult for him to get free kicks and easier for the defenders to get away with their behavior against him if he keeps on acting like he does now. And the referees will assume that he's acting a bit like they do with uh, Suarez and Pepe and so on. Who has a, uh, Suarez, for example, has a, it's a trouble to get the free kicks now in another way that uh, maybe eight years ago when, when he wasn't so well known among the referees. I think it's a bit early to say if, we, if this will affect his legacy because in the end, I think it depends more on how well Brazil do in the tournament. If they win and he scores some of the important goals, he will be remembered. Uh, he isn't the first player to to cheat. If you look at uh, Diego Maradona, his hand of God, his uh, hand of God didn't keep him from being maybe the greatest of all time. So if Brazil win and uh, Neymar is the, the man who who makes them the best team in the tournament, he will be remembered. Maybe not as one of the greatest, but of course he, we will remember him because he he's a player that you notice when he's on the field and he does some great things. The goal against Mexico and the assist for the second goal. He is their star player, and if they win the tournament, he has to go down as uh, at least one of the greatest of this tournament. And if he does that, he's, uh, it's only he's thirty, I think, in the next World Cup, so he has still some time left. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting tournament for Neymar, especially given. As, as Jake mentioned, Messi's gone home, Ronaldo's gone home. Two of the players that you may be expected to carry their country through to the last stage of the tournament have not been able to do so. Um, I think the major change for Brazil over the last four years is they're not as reliant on Neymar as they were for the home World Cup. Remember that World Cup, they have Fred playing up front and now they've got a choice of Firmino, Jesus, two of the best strikers in European football, Coutinho, the second most expensive player in world football. So it's not like they're short of attacking talent now. Um, Neymar's still obviously the undoubted star of the team and they still look for him to to create things and score the goals, but I don't think they're nearly as reliant on him as they were. Um, the play-out team, I do think it spoils it a little bit. The way he was acting during the Mexico game, where he was rolling over and over and over, when he got a little tap on the ankle from, was it Leon? It was, it was just ridiculous. Um, and I think it's getting to the point where a lot of people within football are now calling him out for that. And it's disappointing that a player with all of Neymar's gifts and ability feels that he has to embark on these sorts of histrionics. Um I think it's understandable to an extent when he has had the injury problems that he's had. Obviously, the last World Cup, he was effectively kicked out of the game um, with the injury that he had meant that he couldn't play in the semi-final. That had a massive impact on Brazil getting hammered by Germany. So that's probably in his mind a little bit. He's trying to protect himself with some of the, some of his antics. But that's probably the kindest thing you can say about him. There's other players that have been Neymar's level and better who get similar punishment and they just get on with the game. Um, you don't tend to see Messi do that certainly not to the same level as Neymar and you'd think playing at Barcelona with him you would have seen that Messi just gets on with it and I think that puts defenders off from thinking that they can target him Neymar for me he almost invites that sort of treatment by giving the players the reaction the over the top reaction that maybe they're after um, 
In terms of his legacy, I think it is a difficult one to judge at this stage. I think if he goes on and helps Brazil to win this World Cup, maybe the next World Cup, then he's obviously going to go down as certainly a great of this era. Obviously, there's so many Brazilian greats that it's difficult to rank him. It's difficult to think where he ranks in their sort of pantheon of brilliant players. But it looks like as long as he stays fit and healthy, he will go on and become Brazil's top goal scorer. His international goals record is absolutely insane. And if he keeps that up, he's going to be one of the top goal scorers in international football history, not just in Brazil's football history. So in terms of pure numbers, I think he's certainly on the way to securing greatness, legendary status, however you want to call it. But yeah, I'm of the opinion that a lot of his behaviour on the pitch is unnecessary, uncalled for, and it does sort of spoil our view of what should be a fantastic player to watch. Yeah, I, I, the only reason I raised the question of it is legacy and, and sort of where he ranks it within the both the Brazilian and uh, and the current greats is that you know as Jamie mentioned he, he's on track to become their highest scorer. He's currently twenty behind Pele, which you know considering he's only twenty six, he's probably going to easily go past that and could you know as, as Jamie mentioned go on and be one of the top goal scorers for international football, which would be a remarkable achievement. He's also had uh. Nine, 89 caps already, uh, and Cafu is the, is the record cap holder with with 142. That's well within his grasp if if he stays fit and stays at the top of the game. It's he, he's probably going to go and break that as well. So he's he's gonna he's gonna tally up a few records for Brazil as long as he stays healthy and as long as he's you know stays at the top of his game, which at the moment it looks like he will do. I think the 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 move to PSG. I'm not sure if that's been the best thing for his career in, in sort of mentality and the way. He approaches things. He, he does seem to be a bit of a. I mean, all great players are a bit of a, you know, a, mar- a little bit arrogant, and, and he's he's definitely that. And I and I think the way he sort of controls the dressing room at PSG definitely sort of has had a negative effect on him. And and the play acting, um, you know, what he did against Mexico was ridiculous. He was down for, you know, he could have gone and make made a cup of tea in the time he was down, and he'd barely even been touched. It was ridiculous. I just. That does sour what he is. I think it it surprised me that he's already twenty six because I think he's. I still think of him as a young player, but he's getting to that age where he needs to really go and push on. And this tournament is a is a great opportunity for him. Yes, they're on the the tough half of the draw, but Brazil and Brazil they're the current favourites to win the competition. I think they've looked the most well rounded team so far. I think they they've looked pretty good at the back and, and they've offered something in attack I think uh, as Jamie mentioned they've got a lot more players than they did in the previous World Cup or at least a lot more players at, at sort of nearing the top of European football you've got Philippe Coutinho as well he's been excellent in this tournament uh, Gabriel Jesus Roberto Firmino um, they've both been you know very good in, over the last 12 months for Manchester City and Liverpool uh, Thomas is a Liverpool fan I'll just come to you on this one quickly do you think that Firmino should be starting for Brazil because I know I, I see a lot of people talking about that every every time the Brazil lineup gets announced he obviously came on and scored the other day Jesus hasn't had his best tournament I think he's worked hard and he, he's definitely offered something but in front of goal he hasn't been the best do you think that Firmino deserves to uh, maybe a starting role uh, yeah I, I think he deserves to start because he hasn't played too many minutes, but I think he has achieved a lot when he has when he has uh, coming onto the pitch. He scored just uh, two minutes after getting on in the game against Mexico, and he has yeah. He, he is a very good footballer, Roberto Firmino, and he does a lot of things that uh, Jesus doesn't uh, doesn't do for the team. He creates chances, and now that he has scored, I think they need Firmino uh, in between. Uh, Villian and Neymar to give them some more spaces. He, his movement is, uh, in my opinion, better than uh, Jesus. And uh, since Gabriel Jesus hasn't scored yet, I think that it's time to show Roberto Firmino some uh, some confidence and uh, let him start against Belgium. But I'm quite sure that uh, he will keep on playing the same team for the next round as well because Tite uh, seems to like the way that they play now and. Uh, to have Roberto Firmino on the bench, at least give them an opportunity to change the game if uh, Belgium comes ahead. So, I, if I was the coach for Brazil, I would start Firmino in every game. But uh, I watch Firmino week in, week out, so maybe I'm, I'm not the right person to judge him. <laughs> yeah. 
against the other players. Yeah, just one more point on Neymar before I think we're going to move on to something else. As Jake mentioned, he's 26 now. He's sort of approaching the age where we consider full players to be in their prime, and he still behaves like a teenager. I remember watching him um, at the Olympics when he played for Brazil in England at the London Olympics, and he was a young player then, and it sort of made sense that he was behaving a bit childishly in the way he reacted to challenges and getting over-emotional on the pitch. You could kind of understand it because he was new to the game and still developing, but now he should be a complete package as a player. And I think the antics are just a bit of a distraction from not just his skill, but the Brazil team as a whole. And although it works as a team much better than it did four years ago, as I've already said, I think Neymar, he just dominates the attention so much that it could overshadow the team and maybe just take focus away from what should be a very good chance to win the World Cup. I think his over-emotional responses are just a bit ridiculous, really. I can't imagine an England player behaving like that. Can you imagine Jordan Henderson (laughs) bursting into tears at the full-time whistle because they'd won a second-round game? I don't think so. No, I, I think that's a good point. It's, it's sort of over-emotionless. It's over-showing emo- of emotions. Uh, you often see him crying at the end of games. And when if he wants to be compared with the best players in the world, if he wants to be at the level of Ronaldo and Messi, who are just so professional, they they focus all, all on their own game. And I think that Neymar is... He's, he's in the Ronaldo mould of wanting it to be about him, but I think Ronaldo does it in in a, just a more professional way, and that's why it sort of comes off mine. And I agree, I don't think he's developed a lot mentally uh over the sort of last three or four years and it's definitely a threat to brazil if a game's not going their way neymar could take away from what the team are going for that is definitely a worry uh but just moving into to the country specific discussion now we're, get, we're going to talk about sweden and england so you know we'd face each other on saturday at three o'clock so that's going to be it's a huge game because whichever team wins they've completely gone past what, what everybody expected from them especially from Sweden so we'll start with you on this one Thomas uh, just want to know your thoughts on yesterday's game I know Switzerland had a lot of the ball um, perhaps had more more ch- chances as well but Sweden just looks so solid at the back and it, it, there seems to be a real team spirit there I've seen a lot of people compare them to Iceland what they were a, lot, a couple of years ago but sort of a more streamlined Iceland a more effective Iceland uh, do you think that's a fair comparison? Yeah I think so because um this Swedish team, uh, well, it's based on the on the same things that uh, Iceland was during uh, the time with Lars Lagerbäck, who, who's a Swedish coach, has gone to, to the same school as uh, our coach, Jan Andersson. Uh, the game against Switzerland, I understand it maybe wasn't the most fun game to watch from a neutral perspective, but um, personally, personally, I can't remember the last time I was this nervous when Sweden played. Maybe it was in the quarterfinal against Romania in 94. And looking back at the game now, I think that Switzerland never really got close to hurt us. They had one good opportunity in the first half, but uh, they missed the target. And um, I think it was interesting to see that we defended quite high when Sommer had the ball uh, for the goal kick. We didn't let them play the ball from the back, and I think that uh, that was a problem for them. And after that, of course, we defended in a very impressive way like we did during the whole tournament. And we didn't give Shakiri any space at all. And uh, when you don't give him any space, he, he tends to play quite badly. Yesterday, it was mostly crosses that uh, were headed away by our defenders. Uh, this game was the fifth time in the past six games that we didn't concede a goal. We didn't concede in any of the games against Italy before the World Cup, and we didn't concede against South Korea, Mexico, and uh, now we didn't concede against Switzerland. So this defense is uh, it is world class. Um, too bad, though, that uh, we didn't play very well in the offense. I'm still waiting for uh, Marcus Bay to score and for Emil Forsberg to be as creative as we need him to be. Even though Forsberg scored yesterday, I think he was one of the players who underperformed in Sweden. Um, we need him to, to be a, a bit better if we want to get past the next round. Before the World Cup, everyone, me included, said that we needed Marcus Bay to score if we wanted to achieve anything at all. And he's still without a goal in this tournament and still we're in the quarterfinal. So this team has a capability of making each other better 
And even though Marcus Bay doesn't score now, he works really hard together with Hoiman and up front. And I think that the defenders they that they play against really hates to play play them because Toivonen is a very dirty player. He uses his elbows and uh, likes to kick the, kick the defenders and so on. So maybe they're not the best football players, but they do some good things for this team. But of course, the most important part of this team is the defense. And the back four has been amazing during the tournament. Now Mika Lustig will be out against England because of the suspension. And that is uh, maybe a problem for us. But uh, when we missed... Victor Lindelöf against Korea, and we played Pontus Jansson instead, and that was no problem at all. So the thing that uh, Janne Andersson has done to this team is to make sure that everyone knows what to do when they play. So it doesn't really matter which players who are on the field because uh, they know what to do when they're on, and that is something that we have lacked in the Swedish team for many years. Uh, when we had Erik Kamrén before Janne Andersson, it was uh, the opposite way. We had Zlatan who knew what he was supposed to do when the other player needed to adapt to him. Now the right back knows exactly what is what they we want from him and the left back knows exactly what we want from him. And um, if you're a small country like Sweden and don't have many star players, that how that is how you need to that is how you need to go to the World Cup because uh, we can't play attacking football against teams that are superior to us. When you look at the names and the technique of the players, we need to do the best with what we've got. And uh, it's hard to say anything else that uh, this team has uh, done something special. Here in Sweden now, everyone is talking about the similarities with the summer of 94, who is, uh, who is almost like a legend here in Sweden when we won the bronze medals. Uh, that was also a very hot summer, and the team from 94 wasn't expected to go anywhere in this that tournament. But they grew together and... Uh, Today, everyone in that team is uh, is a hero here in Sweden. And uh, now the newspapers talk about Andreas Granqvist as a you know a player to to walk in those footsteps and be the next big Swedish football hero in another way than uh, Slatan, who is of course the best player who has ever been from Sweden. But uh, it is something else when you have a national team that go far in the tournament and. Uh, now we're in the quarterfinals, and I don't think that anyone here in Sweden expected that kind of uh, achievement. So I'm I'm very happy with what uh, Jan Andersson has has done to this national team. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, as soon as Zlatan sort of goes from the team, they go you know to a quarterfinal of the World Cup. It does speak volumes of what. Uh, maybe a smaller nation needs rather than a superstar they need they need a team and following into the first steps of Iceland one player that's really impressed me for Sweden who you didn't mention there was uh, Victor Lindelof who of course joined Manchester United for a, a ridiculous fee last summer uh, didn't really impress in the Premier League look a little bit out of his depth and he's been absolutely superb at the World Cup and you know if you're looking this summer centre-backs you could sign if you knew that he hadn't already had that big move he's standing out as the one you'd want to go for do you think that this World Cup could really push him on you know both for, for the national team and for Manchester United yeah I hope so because he, he deserves to play more games for Manchester United than he did last year of course they defend in a, in a different way than Sweden does because we defend quite uh, mostly we defend quite low in a very with a very compact team, and uh, Andreas Granqvist next to him is a really solid, really solid player. And uh, maybe if we play for Manchester United, they expect to be more, uh, to do more in the offense, and uh, maybe they don't get the same uh, protection from the midfield as he does uh, when he plays for Sweden. But you can see in this tournament that he is a great defender, and uh, maybe it's time for Mourinho to give him a few games to let him show what he's got because um, I don't think that he's a worse player than Chris Smalling or uh, Phil Jones or those kind of players who have played before him this season and he's still he's still young and he gets better so um, I think that if Manchester United doesn't play in this season they need to let him move on to another club because he doesn't deserve to sit on the bench for another season season. Yeah, just before we come on to England with Jamie, I just want to ask you what your th- thoughts are on the quarterfinal and, and, and are you happy that you got England rather than Colombia? I'd just be interested to hear your thoughts as, a, as an outsider uh, to the England camp. Well, um, 
personally, I I always want England to do good because uh, as a Liverpool supporter, I, this this season I wanted Jordan Henderson to be, be successful in the World Cup. But uh, when I when I realized that they were that we were going to face England or Colombia, I wanted England to lose yesterday because I think that Colombia would suit us much better than uh, than England does. Um, it will be an interesting quarterfinal, of course, but um, I think the way England plays suits us a bit worse than uh, than Colombia. And uh, I re- I'm really afraid to face uh, Harry Kane because we haven't conceded many goals so far, but we haven't really faced a world-class striker like he is. And uh, most of the teams we have faced have also been uh, a bit shorter than us. So on the set pieces, they haven't been able to create anything against us. And uh, England has more has more players who is um, dangerous in the area. You have uh, Harry Maguire and uh, John Stones, and you have uh, Harry Kane. And so uh, I think that uh, England suits us a bit worse than uh, Colombia. But on the other hand, I think that uh, the Swedish team and the Swedish players knows England a bit better, and we have a good record against England. So I think uh, there was the time about um, we faced each other almost uh, every competition, and it was. Often that we could get a draw. Uh, we lost in the, in the European Championships in uh, I think it wasn't done in Ukraine, but uh, apart from that, we usually do good against England. So hopefully we can do that now. But uh, I'm I'm impressed with what England has achieved so far. I didn't think that they were going to be in the quarterfinal. No, I don't, I don't think we're going to be in the quarterfinal either, Thomas. Uh, there we go. <laughs> we're moving on to England now. Uh, and after yesterday, I think the the whole country is sort of still in still in elation at what happened winning a penalty shootout for the first time in, in around 20 years is just remarkable um the way it happened they looked so cool uh didn't really look like they were the, they were panicking and and the fact that they were led by Gareth Southgate who, who of course famously missed a penalty it does it just seems like it's gone full circle from there uh Jamie what were your thoughts on the game yesterday and England's performance yeah, it's it's a difficult one to analyse, isn't it? I felt England were in control for the large part of the game without really creating an awful lot. Um, I think that was partly down to Columbia's tactics. They obviously decided to be very physical, quite defensive, um, brought the game up with a lot of tactical fouls as well, made it difficult for England to create. Um, but I think a lot of the players that you would expect in the England side to be creative didn't play particularly well. Deli Ali was quite poor. Seems like he's carrying an injury or two that's making it difficult for him. Raheem Sterling, he hasn't really had a good World Cup either, and Jesse Lingard, I don't think he performed particularly well either. So the players behind the striker have been a bit of a problem for me over the last couple of games. Um, but it seemed like England were, were holding on quite well. They were dealing with the pressure reasonably well. Obviously, Jordan Pickford made a fantastic save right at the end and they scored from the resulting corner, and that can happen. Um, You can concede from a set piece. It's just a part of the game, isn't it, where sometimes you get beaten by a a powerful player in the air. Yerry Mee has scored three games in a row at the World Cup, so he's obviously a massive threat from set pieces. And England were a bit unfortunate, maybe, in that regard. I just feel when it went to extra time that we allowed Columbia to, to really take the front foot and they were on top for that period, albeit without creating an awful lot. And then Eric Dyer probably had the biggest chance to win the game and then avoid the penalties, but missed the free header. So um, I'd be lying if I said I was confident when it did go to penalties, but the way the players approached the shootout, I thought was completely different to how England have in penalty shootouts in the past. As you say, Gareth Southgate has got his own penalty history, Famously in England did a pizza commercial where he had a bag on his head after he missed a penalty at Euro 96. It's come an awful long way from that, hasn't he? Um, I've never been that much of a fan of Southgate, to be honest, but he's he's winning me over slowly during the World Cup. A lot of the things he says makes a lot of sense. The approach from the way they're prepared for the tournament seemed absolutely spot on. The players seem happy and comfortable in their environment, which is... A big thing that managers time and time again seem to get wrong with England. They either go far too far in one direction and coddle them too much and they all get bored or they give them too much freedom and the players take advantage. And Southgate seems to have got a nice balance and everyone seems really happy and settled, which I think makes a big difference. Um, 
But yeah, I didn't see us winning on penalties at all. I thought it was all set for for a repeat of the many many penalty shootout exits England have had at major tournaments before, and the fact it's the first time England have ever won a penalty shootout at the World Cup speaks for itself, really. Um, and I think what players, including Harry Kane, said after the game that it will give them fresh belief for the rest of the tournament. I think that speaks volumes. There's no fear in this England team, and that's been the problem that's held the team back in the last few tournaments. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It's absolutely huge to, to win a penalty shootout. Um, they, they are not great to watch, not great to be a part of either as a player or a fan. But if you do win, I think it, it's probably the best way to go for a tie, especially this early in the knockout stages. You've got, um, you know, still got three games to go if you go that far. But it, it really builds momentum. It brings everybody together, builds belief, and it, it it's such a good way. It's sort of like winning the playoffs. That's how I'd compare it to. It's, it's not the best comparison, but I think going up through the playoffs is probably the best way to get promoted. But but to, it's also the worst way. You know, to go out, it's all the most nerve wracking. So it's, I think it's, it's massive that we 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 won that way. Um, I don't think we've had played. I'm not getting carried away with England. I don't think we've played as well as some people making out. I think there are big, there there are still flaws in the team. I agree with, with the central midfielders, uh, or at least the attacking ones weren't great yesterday. I think Raheem Sterling's trying, but he's he's not a central player, and I think that's showing. He's quite easily bullied in there. Um, I think Ali, yeah, I agree. He he doesn't look fully fit, and and Jesse Lingard, he's a bit hit and miss. I still don't think he can, you know, deliver every three or four days as he as we were asking him to do. I was slightly surprised Loftus Cheek didn't get a game. I thought he looked really good against Belgium. Probably the only good thing about that game. Uh, also looked good against Panama. Yes, it's only Panama, but he he, he looked good. Uh, Andy, of course, made a, a bit of a difference against Tunisia, bringing bringing a bit of impetus. So uh, I just want to ask you your thoughts on Loftus-Cheek and Marcus Rashford as well. Do you think those two uh, are players that maybe we should look to to bring in for the quarterfinal? I think they're the, they're the two obvious ones, aren't they, that if you were going to make changes, they're probably the two that you try and get into the team. Um, Loftus-Cheek, I think his, his reputation exceeds what he's delivered so far. I think because he's a very technically accomplished midfielder, keeps possession very well, he seems comfortable driving forward, people have got very excited very early, but the fact of the matter is he's done absolutely nothing for club and country really so far, he's very young and very inexperienced, so I mean, it would be asking a lot to throw him into a World Cup quarter-final when he doesn't really have big game experience, he had a reasonable season at Crystal Palace, albeit disrupted by injuries. He's played a handful of times for England, but none of them in a pressurised environment. So I think it would be difficult to ask him to go into that that situation. But if Deli Ali is as unfit as he looks, I think that's probably a change that they have to seriously think about. Um, Loftus-Cheek might give the team a bit more in terms of unlocking a tight defence. I think everyone expects Sweden to sit back a little bit and soak up England's pressure. And that's probably what the team lacks, really someone in a central area who can knit the place together, deliver the final pass in the final third. And maybe that's what Loftus-Cheek can bring to the game. I'm certainly not building him up because, like I say, I think he's he's got a long way to go to become the player that people seem to think he is already. But if he is as good as people think, Maybe the World Cup quarterfinal is a stage to show it. Um, as far as the other change goes, I feel really bad for Raheem Sterling because obviously his build-up to the tournament was overshadowed by some of the ridiculous treatment in the tabloid newspapers in England. Um, and I think he's dealt with that negative attention in an exemplary way, really. I think for someone who's still a very young player to handle all this negative attention, all this pressure from outside in such a calm way, in such a... Um, a mature way, I think it, it reflects really well on Raheem Sterling as a human. Um, as a player, I don't think he's had a particularly good World Cup so far. Like you say, I think he's trying really hard, but it's not really coming off for him. And yeah, I'm not sure playing sort of alongside Kane or just off Kane in the number 10 role, I don't think it's really worked out for him. I think Sterling, more than anyone else in the England team, is the one who you notice really misses all the world-class creative players he has around him at club level. Obviously, at Manchester City, he's got Kevin De Bruyne and David Silva and Bernardo Silva and Leroy Sané to link up with. He's playing for England with players of a similar standard to him rather than players who are much, much better. Um, and I think that's that's been quite easy to see at times. 
Not sure I'd put Rashford in, though. I think Rashford as an impact substitute is a really, really strong option. Um, and although he looked really confident in um, one of the build-up games, he scored that amazing goal against Costa Rica, didn't even Leeds. I think maybe he's better as an impact option at this point. So I'd certainly think about Loftus-Cheek for Ali, depending on his fitness, but I'd probably give Sterling another game. Yeah, and just before we move on to player watch, I just want to ask what you think would represent success for England now, taking into account you know what's happened so far in the draw ahead. I know a lot of people are getting carried away with, with where we are in the draw. I think we're, that any of those four teams could go to the final. I don't think you know the way this World Cup's gone, anybody can beat anybody, or at least you know those four teams. Anyone could go through. Do you think if they went out on on Saturday, would that be a, a disappointment, or would you think a quarterfinals progress and that's something to build on? I think it would be disappointing. That's not a slight on Sweden, but I think whenever you lose a World Cup quarterfinal, it's disappointing because you think about what could have been. Um, the way the draw has opened up has obviously got people very excited in England, and rightly so, I think. The World Cup happens every four years, and quite often we've been rubbish at it. So the fact that we've looked okay, got out of the group stage, and won a knockout game. First time we've won a knockout game in 12 years at any major tournament. So I think quarterfinals was an achievement that most people would have been pretty happy with at the start. And if we'd lost to, say, Germany or Brazil in the quarterfinals, everyone would have gone, yeah, you know what? That's fair enough. They're just better than us. Um, but I think Sweden will look at the quarterfinal in a similar way, and they'll think England, we can beat them. Semi-finals, Russia or Croatia, we can beat them. So, like you say, everyone in this half of the group now is thinking we can get to the World Cup final. I think it's going to be really interesting how how the teams cope with this pressure now, because it's a totally different type of pressure once you've, firstly, achieved the expectation that you set out to, but secondly suddenly have a brand new expectation because of completely outside factors being the draw and what's happened to the other big teams. So the fact that it's Sweden, I think, does mean people will be a bit more downbeat if it does go wrong. I'm not expecting England to win whatsoever. I think it's going to be a really tight game and could go either way. But I think it would be disappointing just because England probably will start the game as favourites. Yeah, moving into to player watch now. I just want to ask each of you uh, a little look to the club side now. Um, over the course of the World Cup, obviously a lot of players catch the eye, and, and they say it's a bad time to buy players based on a tournament, which I'd agree with. But of course, we all we all see players, and we think they wouldn't look bad in our own club teams. Uh, has there been any players that have stood out of this World Cup that you think that you'd quite like your club to sign? Uh, we'll start with you, Thomas, of Liverpool. Yeah, well, um, as a Liverpool supporter, I'm not very fond of signing players based on uh, on a good World Cup. Not after El Hadji Diouf and Salif Diaw in 2002. But uh, I really like what I've seen from the Colombian defender, uh, Mina, I think his name is, who scored yesterday. It would be interesting to see him next to uh, Van Dijk in Liverpool. But since he plays for Barcelona, it, will, it, will, it won't be easy to, to get him now. And uh, since Lovren has uh, been great in this tournament as well, maybe that shouldn't be the priority. Uh, Liverpool need a goalkeeper, and uh, Alisson in Brazil is the obvious choice. He would be a great signing for us, and I think that he has done good in this World Cup, even though we, even though Brazil is such a good team that he hasn't been put to test so much. But uh, he's my first choice, and if you look at the players who, at least to me, wasn't uh, very known before the World Cup, I really liked uh, Lozano from uh, Mexico. He would be an in- he would be an interesting addition to the Liverpool squad. He's only 22 years old and he is uh, a bit similar to Mani and Sali in the way that he's very quick and has great technique. He has done well in the Dutch league. Of course, that league isn't as good as it was a few years ago, but uh, he scored against uh, Germany. He was their only threat against Sweden and uh, I think that he would be a great fit for Liverpool. Yeah, Jamie, same question to you uh, for Burnley. Yeah, it's a, it's a terrific going for Burnley, really, because obviously most players at the World Cup are probably massively out of our price range. A lot of these players are playing at clubs that are already much bigger and richer than Burnley, so they wouldn't even be on our radar. I'd be surprised if we've even scouted the tournament in any great detail, to be honest, because everyone knows about every player now, just the way global football works. Um, I was going to mention Lozano, actually, but I think the fact that 
Thomas is talking about him as potentially going to Liverpool. I know he's been linked with Arsenal as well. I think that demonstrates that he's already probably a player that we wouldn't be able to attract, but I've been really impressed with him. I think pace, direct, really dangerous, likes to get in the final third, get in the box. You In the first half of the Brazil game, he looked like the player that could perhaps win it for Mexico. I thought he outperformed Neymar, certainly for the first 20, 25 minutes or so before Neymar really started to get his grip on the contest. So I think it will be interesting to see him in the Premier League for sure, although probably unrealistic that we could sign him. The other player that I've really been impressed with was for Japan, actually, Inui. I've seen a bit of him in La Liga, actually, and liked him a lot. I think he scored against Barcelona and became the first Japanese player ever to score against Barcelona. He's actually already moved this summer. I think he signed for Real Betis. So, again, not one that's realistic, but I've really enjoyed watching him. He's been one of the players that I didn't really know that much about, although I've seen bits that I think has really heightened his, his reputation a bit at the tournament. Yeah, we move into the match previews now. Uh, the quarter-final stage, we got a few of the teams we expected to see there, a few that we didn't. I'll just run through the games now. we got France, Uruguay and Brazil and Belgium on one half of the draw. And then we've, of course, got England and Sweden and Croatia and Russia on the other side of the draw. Uh, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on these fixtures. I know we've touched a lot of uh, on England and Sweden, so we probably should talk about the other three games. Uh, which one do you think sort of the most stands out, and which teams do you sort of see going through to the semi-finals? Well, uh, the standout game for me is uh, Belgium against Brazil. I think um, there may be, may, together with France, I think they're two best teams in the tournament, and. Uh, I think it would be interesting to see Belgium play Brazil because um, Brazil has looked really solid at the back in this tournament. And I, and I don't think that Belgium has uh, been as uh, good defending. So I think that that game will show a bit um, how how good Belgium really is because um, the group stage for Belgium was, uh, with the first two games was quite easy and the England game, it's hard to, to draw any conclusions from that game. And... Uh, they were real shaken by Japan, so I'm not sure how good Belgium really is yet. And uh, after the Brazil game, we will know if uh, Belgium is the real deal. So that is the game that I'm looking forward to the most. And I think that uh, I think that the Bra- that Brazil will show us in that game that they are the best team in this tournament. Yeah, I think on paper that that certainly stands out as the the game that's got the potential to be the most exciting. Totally agree about Belgium. I think at the back, they look like they can be got at, even though England didn't manage to score against them with what was essentially a reserve team. But I think the way that Japan set about that tie really demonstrated that Belgium can be opened up. And I think if they play with such an open system against Brazil, they're going to risk being taken apart, really. The flip side is Belgium are probably going to test Brazil defensively in a way that nobody else has at the tournament so far. So that certainly looks like it's going to be the match to to make sure you see. Obviously, watch all the games, but if you can only watch one, watch that one. I'm also really looking forward to France against Uruguay. France arguably have the best squad in the tournament. The, the depth of the talent available to France is absolutely ridiculous. You could probably have a squad of French players who didn't make it into their last 23, and they could probably get to the quarterfinals of the World Cup themselves. So there was a lot of options for Didier Deschamps, and I think he's still trying to work out how to get all his best players into his best team, and I think that could be where they fall down a little bit. Uruguay have been, under the radar, one of the best teams at the tournament so far. They've looked incredibly solid at the back, obviously the Atletico Madrid pair know each other very well. Diego Godin, arguably the best defender, out-and-out defender in world football right now. And obviously they're going up against the club colleague in Antoine Griezmann, who's been telling everyone to listen how Uruguayan he feels in the build-up to the game. So there's a lot of little club-related subplots around that game. I think when you get to this stage of the tournament, managers have a real impact as well. Didier Deschamps, Although he's coached France at more games than anyone else now, I think he's passed the previous record holder. He's still a bit unconvincing for me. The way that France play, considering the talent that they've got available, it's just not as exciting as it should be. Obviously, Mbappe was sensational against Argentina, and Pogba had a really good game as well, but I still don't think we've seen France play as well as they really should, considering the the quality they've got certainly going forward 
Um, whether they can get through Uruguay, who, like I say, such a tight defence, best defence in the tournament so far, I think that's going to be really interesting. And I think Oscar Tabares has the potential to out-tactic Didier Deschamps. That one might be one for the purists, maybe, if Uruguay decide they're going to go out to, to try and stifle France. I think it's, it's telling that myself and Thomas have both chosen the quarterfinals in the, the stack side of the draw. I think Russia v Croatia and England v Sweden have massive potential to be absolutely dreadful games. If you're not interested in any of the teams involved, I, I don't think they're going to have much to offer the neutrals at all. I don't think it's going to be much entertainment or excitement at all. Um, but I think Russia could spring another shock, actually. Croatia quite poor in their round of 16 game. Russia have a lot of momentum, and I think being the home nation offers a lot to their chances as well. Yeah, it would be quite remarkable if Russia do go through to the semi-final, considering they were written off. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, Russian press were saying it's the worst Russian team of all time. And they could go on and, and get to the semi-final, and maybe even the final. Who knows? They've, they've really, you know looked really really quite good i think their manager who's come in quite quite late is is set them up really well and and in zuba golovin you know they've got a a couple of players that are informed that'll be i i definitely agree they i think they could easily go through to the semi-final um i just want to quickly touch on players as well of course i think it's it's at this stage of the competition where you see the best players step up the ones that are going to go on and and win player of the tournament get the top goal scorer um are there any players that you expect to have a really big impact in their quarterfinal? Uh, personally, I'm uh, I've been very impressed with Luka Modric so far, in, uh, at least in the group stage. And uh, one of the one of the biggest uh, points in this tournament so far for me, apart from the Swedish games, is when he scored his, the the second penalty in the penalty shootout uh, against Denmark. To, to watch his face when he was walking towards the penalty spot was uh, it was a strong moment and when he scored that goal and uh, Croatia came through I think that was very important for him and I think that he will shine in the quarterfinal against Russia because uh, he's, he, he's a great player of course and uh, now that Croatia is past the first knockout round I think that they will maybe be a bit more uh, confident and uh, they have a great team, and uh, Luka Modric is their best player. And I, I would predict them to go to the final from the four teams from Sweden's half. Uh, and if they if they want to do that, Luka Modric has to be good. So I think that he will shine at least in the quarterfinal. Yeah, I agree. I think Modric had a really good tournament up until the round of sixteen game. Um, obviously, I've already talked about Diego Godin. I think he's an absolutely fantastic defender. I think the other player for Uruguay who's going to have to shine if they are going to get through the France game and beyond is Edinson Cavani. Obviously, there's concerns over his fitness after he limped off not long after scoring his second goal in the Portugal win. Um, but I think he'll probably play even if he's not 100% fit. Um, I haven't heard what the exact latest is on that, but I think players at this stage, when you get to the World Cup quarterfinal, even if he's 65-70% fit, I think you play. Um, it's fair to say I've not always been known as the biggest fan of Edinson Cavani. I think he misses an awful lot of chances for someone considered an elite striker. Uh, the, number of go- the number of goals he scores at PSG, don't think that really tells the full story because I think most top strikers would score absolutely loads of goals for, for PSG. What I have noticed at the World Cup so far is just how much work rate he puts into it for for Uruguay. I don't know whether he's more motivated playing for his country or it's the way that the team's set up that they have to defend from the front in a way that PSG just don't. Um, but his work rate has really impressed me and his partnership with Luis Suarez is obviously very dangerous, both in an attacking sense in that they both offer a lot of goal threat and they obviously link up very well. They combine in very da- dangerous areas, but also the way that they set the tone for the way Uruguay defend as a team by pressing so hard up the pitch. And I just think France are going to find that very difficult to work with because without descending into stereotypical cliches, France seems to have a bit more of a laid-back approach about the way they go about their football. Before we wrap up, I just want to get each of your opinions uh, and score predictions for the England-Sweden game. Thomas, you confident of going through? What's your prediction for the game? Well, um, I have. A, I think I haven't predicted a win for Sweden yet and uh, I've been wrong for every game so uh, I don't think we will win this one but uh, watching Sweden play 
this um, this tournament, I have seen that we can beat every team. And even though England are favourites, I think that we have a decent chance to go through to the semi-final. But uh, we need to score first. We have scored first in every game so far. And uh, since we're hard to, to score against, it's important for us to be the first team to to score in the game. So uh, I, I really fear Harry Kane. As I said before, he's the first world-class striker that uh, Grand Christian Lindelöf has to face in this tournament. And uh, if he is at his best, maybe he can hurt us. But um, Janne Andersson will make sure that uh, England has a, has a hard time. And uh, we will have... We will have a great tactic, and we will um, we'll know how to hurt England. But then, the question is if we are able to, because if you look at the players on the field, England is a better team. We will be out Mikael Lustig, uh, who is suspended, but uh, Emil Kraft will play instead of him, and I don't think it will matter a lot. Uh, the big question is if Albini Ektor will be fit enough to play, and if he is out, uh, I think we will miss him a lot. Um, we will Sebastian Larsson will be back from his suspension, and he will be. In that case, he will play together with uh, Gustav Svensson. But um, I think that uh, even if Albini Ekdal is a bit injured, I can't see him to be can't see him out of a quarterfinal in the World Cup for Sweden because it's the first time since '94, and in '94 I think it was the first time since 1958. So uh, it doesn't happen very often. Uh, my prediction would be maybe a one-one draw after 90 minutes, and then. Uh, then we defend ourselves to the penalties. And then uh, it's up to Robin Olsen and uh, the English penalty ghost. And Jamie, your your prediction for the game? I think very similar, to be honest. I think um, Kane's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he scored six goals at the World Cup. Half of those have been penalties. Two were headers from basically on the line and one hit him and went in. So uh, it's too clear in the rest of the golden boot, but it's difficult to argue that he's been had an outstanding World Cup um, maybe this is a game where he really fires and, and leads England on, obviously he's England captain he scored a hell of a lot of goals for Spurs in the last few years and he's really starting to catch fire for England, he's levelled a 70 year old record in scoring in six games in a row so that's obviously motivating him a great deal um, I do think it's going to be really really close really tight, I think Sweden will probably defend deep, make it as difficult as possible for England to break them down. I don't think they'll be quite as physical, as dirty even as Columbia were. That might play into England's favour a bit if they don't have to contend with those sorts of um, tactics as well. I agree with Thomas's prediction, to be honest. I think it's going to be very close. Probably will go to extra time, if not penalties. I think 1-1, maybe 0-0. I think it's going to be extremely tense. Um, That England have won a penalty shootout now. Bizarrely, makes me almost confident going into penalties, which feels... I, I can't get used to the feeling of being confident that if it went to penalties, but that might give us an edge that we've just done it and come through a tie in that way. So I think it's it's got a very good chance of going all the way. Yeah, and with that, we are now out of time. I just want to wish Thomas the best of luck for Saturday. Uh, <laughs> whatever Not happens. too much luck. <laughs> Not too much luck. But, <laughs> but we'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll get you back on to talk about <laughs> that game after it has taken place. But if you guys just want to uh, tell people where they can reach you, now would be a good time. I'm uh, Thomas Nygren. You can find me on Twitter, at Thomas Nygren. And... Uh, I write texts for lfcsv.se and um, this week we put up an, uh, an interview with the former Liverpool defender David Raven who is um, it's in English so if you're interested in Liverpool or if you're interested in David Raven's career you can you can look it up. Yeah, I've been Jamie Smith. I cover football for Omnisport News. You can follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sport where no doubt I'll be live tweeting my way into madness on Saturday during the game. Yeah, you can get the show on Twitter at EPL Roundtable or you can email the show EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. We'll be back again after the quarterfinals. And thanks so much for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.